This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. The legal information presented on In Legal Terms is meant to provide general information about the topics discussed and is not necessarily the opinion of Mississippi Public Broadcasting. The information conveyed does not create any type of attorney-client relationship. Please consult an attorney provider before making any decisions about your specific legal questions. Welcome to In Legal Terms from MPB Think Radio, the show all about you and your rights. I'm Liz Gill with Professor Richard Gershon from the University of Mississippi School of Law. Hello, Professor Gershon. Good morning, Liz. I hope you're doing well this morning. I am, and gosh, this is such a busy time for everyone. We want to make sure everyone uh, has signed up for the the, uh, census. We want to make sure everybody has registered to vote. And you know, usually by this time, the legislative session is over. I think the past couple of years in July, we've had the what did the legislature talk about, but it's not over till it's over. Right. And that's why it's so great to have the lieutenant governor here today uh, and Lieutenant Governor, it's really just always a pleasure to, to, to talk with you and, and to welcome you to the show. Can you please tell us a little bit about your background? Sure. Um, I started in Vicksburg and uh, grew up there and on Eagle Lake just in the South Delta and went to Notre Dame and um, got a business degree and went in the Army and came back and showed up at your law school. Somehow they let me in and... I was able to graduate from law school there at the University of Mississippi. Then I went to um, New York University and uh, went to uh, the Master of Laws in Taxation. So when I came back to Mississippi and started our family here, we uh, we basically did business-related law work in, in Jackson for about 35 years before we ran for the lieutenant governor spot. Uh, actually, before we ran for Secretary of State spot, and um, I was hired as Secretary of State 12 years ago. Well, it really, first of all, I, I, I wish we could talk about tax sometime, but uh, we're glad to have you on to talk about well, Everybody listening would hang up if you start talking <laughs> about tax law. <laughs> I agree. I agree. Well, it's just so good to have you. And, and you know, can we talk a little bit about the, the as you mentioned, you were uh, the Secretary of State of Mississippi before you became Lieutenant Governor. How are those offices different? They're, they're a good bit different, and, and they have one similarity. Actually, it's kind of strange. Uh, the Secretary of State is one of the eight statewide elected officials here, and the lieutenant governors as well. The Secretary of State has about 100 or 110 employees there. Um, we we expanded the office to where we had an office in Tupelo and an office in, on the coast. We handled business-related matters, um, securities matters, 16th section land, which was a was a real priority for me, and public lands. We are the uh, we're the owner of the public lands in in the state, and as such, uh, and we also uh, assist the circuit clerks with the uh, with the elections. Uh, every election that goes for, we train for the elections. We don't run them. We actually just train for those. So that led me to. Um, 
uh, while I was there, I rewrote all the business laws, LLCs, corporations, securities, uh, probate, all the business laws in Mississippi. I had study groups, and I rewrote all of them, and the legislature passed them. And I, I, I think uh, we have some of the best business laws in the country for like our LLCs, we had like 40,000 when I redid the law, and now I think we have 120,000 operating LLCs. So it's become very user-friendly, very inexpensive, uh, very very uh, protective of individuals who, who do that. And I got into acquiring property, and I acquired Cat Island with uh, federal funds and other funds um, on the coast and then 2,000 acres down there. And we went to uh, Issaquina and Warren County, my whole place, and we acquired about 17,000 acres there for the public domain. And we went around just acquiring property. So we we were really like a small business, actually, uh, on 16-section land. Um, I increased it to where we raised over a billion dollars in revenue from 16-section land when I was there. An increase of about four or five hundred million dollars over the over my predecessor. I really worked hard on getting the leases right and making sure the public all that money went to schools. It didn't go to the Secretary of State or the state budget. Actually, it goes directly to the school boards. So we we worked hard on those and we basically ran a business. Then when we got hired for the lieutenant governor spot, we moved into the legislative area to where we uh, we basically work uh, with the Senate here, 52 members of the Senate. We passed legislation on all kinds of matters, health care matters, this year the CARES Act, a whole bunch of others. Sometimes we fight with the governor, that kind of thing, who's in the executive branch. And in Mississippi, strangely enough, the lieutenant governor is in both branches, the only person that is in both branches. I'm elected statewide, uh, hired for this position. But I also serve as the president of the Senate and appoint all of the committee chairs and, and also dictate where the bills are sent or double referred or whatever. So I, I, I sit in both, <laughs> I have feet in both sides. I don't run an agency. We only have about seven or eight employees here. Uh, but, I, but I do have some foot in, in management of the Senate itself. It's quite a bit different from managing a small business like I did uh, this uh, Secretary of State's office. When I started, I think the budget was $19 million when I f a year. When I finished, I think it was $13 million. I cut the budget every year I was over there. So, we, you know, we, we paid close attention to managing things, and I think that's helpful to me when I got to be uh, hired in this job. Lieutenant Governor, you, it's got to be a hard job, in, even under the best circumstances. I mean, what are the, the biggest challenges you face in your role as Lieutenant Governor, and how, how, that, how has your role been affected by the pandemic? Um, well, second one first, I guess. The pandemic um, uh, caused a disruption of the legislature, and we're coming back. I'm calling them back in with the Speaker, Philip Gunn. On Thursday and uh, to finish up Thursday and Friday, the legislative session, which will be obviously in October, this will be the longest legislative session in the history of the state. We we came in and we did a bunch of things in January and February and March. COVID hit. We uh, adjourned the legislature for a period of time, uh, came back uh, under strict guidelines, went forward. Uh, and tried to, we had to finish our budget by June the 30th. We, in the interim, the CARES Act was appropriated by the Congress, and we got $1.25 billion. We needed to allocate that. The governor thought it really, he should really allocate it, so there was a time when we were in discussions <laughs> with the governor about that. 
then we finally came back and did our budget by June the 30th. Our fiscal year begins July the 1st. All of that worked good. Uh, on July the 4th, I was um, I was diagnosed with COVID, which I caught while I was here in the legislature. Uh, as did a number of House members and um, other staff, my chief of staff and others. So we were we went down again. Uh, for two to three weeks there where we really were not able to work and so we came back and we brought our people back in the session again and then finally this session right here so uh, COVID has had a tremendous effect on us one to reallocate 1.25 billion dollars we didn't have two it severely affected our budget we lost 240 million dollars below budget in one month so we had to cut our budget five percent and in addition to that we had protective matters which work pretty well but obviously not as well for me because I, I was a I'm a COVID survivor so it, it's been very very difficult um, for us to get through all of that we, we have we have been very much challenged on the issues uh, one the biggest issues I think is to prioritize what you want to accomplish and um, I have priorities uh, you, you see these this last year you will see them again this coming year uh, my priorities were to streamline state government, make sure that it worked effectively, and we eliminated uh, two different commissions and shrunk another one. Uh, we abolished the Fair Commission uh, and put it under the Department of Agriculture. Um, we abolished the Department of Marine Resources and made a direct appointment from the governor. So we did some reorganization matters. Uh, then we we uh, we changed things like in the Constitution where you'll be voting on we, uh, where a majority vote is needed to elect governor versus uh, what we used to have as kind of an electoral college issue in Mississippi. So we started on a whole number of things. We we indemnified people who worked on COVID, uh, like nurses and stuff, from getting sued for uh, for their health care work and. Uh, just a whole number of things. We we made up a teacher's deficit for $19 million. We we revised the driver's license bureau, which was not working well. We made it easier for people who get to be a teacher. Um, just a whole series of, of things that we did that were regular good government things that I think would be uh, very helpful in moving the state along in addition to this COVID-related matters. We we allocated $130 million, so every child in Mississippi has an iPad or a Chromebook. We ordered 390,000 of them, I believe. So every child will have one now. I thought that was critical. Uh, we allocated $65 million for broadband and got the co-ops, who were just great people to work with. They matched it. So we, we spent $130 million in bringing 50,000 more homes in unserved areas where our children can get on the internet and go to class, our businesses and our people can prosper. Uh, and you'll see us working on things like that, expanding uh, access to internet for children and for businesses and stuff. So we had, we did a lot of stuff, you know, and we got a lot of stuff coming this next year. We're holding 11 hearings. Um, those hearings will dictate where we're going. And that goes back to this first thing. I, I think when you've got such a giant you know, we, we're basically a $15 billion budget. About $5.6 billion comes from us and the rest from the federal government. And you got every kind of conceivable problem from, from health care to driver's licenses. Um, you know, it's, 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 a very, it's a very difficult thing to prioritize. I'm going to 
I'm going to do this one this year. I'm going to do these three things this year. And we asked the Senate senators to give us their ideas on making changes in issuing laws and whatnot. Last year, I think we had a thousand bills actually uh, filed, and we approved about 285 of them. We're going to continue with our discussion of the 2020 legislative session with our guest, Lieutenant Governor Delbert Hoseman. What is the website to learn about the Mississippi legislature? I'll tell you next. You're listening to In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. Grayson. You can now listen to the wild, weird, and wonderful stories of Mississippi with Mile Marker. Slowly we started, you know, picking these turtles up and saving them. I'll stop traffic, grab one out of the road. And then our friends found out and our vet would call us. Join me as we hit the roads of Mississippi on Mile Marker. We are now a full-fledged nonprofit turtle rescue. You can listen by going to mpbonline.org slash radio or by using your favorite podcasting app. Mile Marker, a Mississippi Roads podcast. This is In Legal Terms. Not everyone has a chance to listen to our whole show live. If you've missed any of our program, you can find our show at inlegalterms.mpbonline.org. It's also available on the MPB Public Media app, as are all our local shows. I'm Liz Gill. I'm here with Professor Richard Gershon from the University of Mississippi School of Law. If you want to look up a senator, a state senator, or a state representative, or a piece of legislation, legislature.ms.gov is the website to go to. This morning we're talking about talking about the 2020 legislative session with Lieutenant Governor Delbert Hoseman, and we do have a call. Let's go to Clinton and talk to Jody. Jody, thank you so much for calling into In Legal Terms today. What's your comment or question? Well, it's a little bit late for me because I took advantage of the, if you're 65 years or older, you can vote. So I did the absentee. Now, if uh, Lieutenant Governor Hoseman can let me know if I voted the right way. Um, well, first thing, we have nine presidential candidates. Um, if this is on the topic or not, how does one become a presidential candidate on the Mississippi ballot? But that's really not my question. Uh, there is a, um, it says a ballot measure that you are asked to vote on. Um, I've got it in front of me. I could read it, but it doesn't make any sense to me. And should I read this and then have you explain it? What's, what's the top, what's the, just the topic of it? Do you know? Well, it's, it's something you vote on. It's ballot measure two, and you have to vote on this. It says this amendment provides 
that to be elected governor or to be any other statewide office. Oh, right. Uh, yeah, uh, uh, yeah, that was something. Um, uh, Lieutenant Governor Holzman, can you uh, remind our uh, audience how our state, how you got elected and how other statewide electors are elected and what happens if they don't get a majority and what this right. ballot prior, is? Prior to this time, uh, all statewide elected officials were under an electoral college process. And the Electoral College was basically the uh, 122 House districts. Uh, and what happened was we got sued, quite frankly. A uh, federal court filed suit, and uh, someone filed suit against the state of Mississippi in federal court. And in, in those pleadings, they said that this was discriminatory, that it was done in, in an effect to uh, exclude African Americans from getting elected on a statewide basis. By, by making sure that there was a second requirement. The first requirement would be, of course, that you won the vote, and the second is you won the Electoral College. This actually was utilized in, in, when, uh, in the Parker-Musgrove gubernatorial election. Uh, Musgrove was slightly ahead on seven or 10,000 votes, but tied in the Electoral College. And so it came to the House of Representatives, and it was actually a vote cast. And uh, Musgrove was elected by the actually elected by the House of Representatives. So in litigation, they said this was archaic and this was a, a, a process in 1895 when the Constitution was done to make sure that African Americans could never get elected in Mississippi. Uh, we did not think that that was uh, the case, and we argued that it was not uh, discriminatory. But in meetings with uh, Judge Jordan and others, we we believed that a, a, a fairer way was, and the way that everything else is done, was to have a majority vote. And if someone did not get a majority, you had a runoff between the top two candidates, as we do basically in just about every local election. So we proposed that in the legislature. It was passed in the legislature. And in order to be a part of the Constitution, it has to come out of the legislature or it can come out of, if, uh, of individuals uh, sign, about 87,000 of them sign a petition. You can put it on the ballot. But in this case, it came from the legislature and will be on the ballot and is on the ballot. Uh, I would encourage you to vote yes in that manner. Um, and that means everybody from the state treasurer to the governor will be elected, and if no one gets a majority, then there will be a runoff three weeks later, and uh, the majority winner at that time between the top two vote-getters will be elected to whatever the statewide office is. I think it's a, it's a better way to do this. Um, we, we felt comfortable with that, and it came out of the legislature virtually unanimously. Jody, we're so glad that you took advantage of voting absentee uh, because of your age and you felt comfortable doing that. Uh, congratulations on doing your civic duty for the state of Mississippi. We're next going to go to Kathleen and Jackson. And, um, Lieutenant Governor, I think Kathleen has a question on how you get a bill passed, how you get a bill changed on what's covered under sales tax. Kathleen, go ahead. Yes, thank you for taking my call. My question is, um, how do the women of Mississippi, and actually all Mississippians, revoke a sales tax on feminine hygiene products. Um, it's considered a luxury tax, I believe, but this is a necessity for women. 
of childbearing age. So my question is, how does that uh, get rescinded? Um, many states have already dropped that tax. What can we do in Mississippi to get that revoked? Well, it's, uh, it's like anything else, of course, in Mississippi, and, and to get any law changed. You have one of uh, 122 members of the House or 52 members of the Senate, so you have 174 people. Any one of them can file a bill uh, to change the tax code that would reflect uh, feminine pro hygiene products or any other bill for that matter. So uh, any one of them can do that. When, when they do, um, when they file that, it goes, uh, it's drafted by the drafting department, then it goes to a committee that is selected by either the speaker, if it comes out of the House, or the, by the lieutenant governor, if it's in the Senate. Typically on tax matters, it would go to a, uh, the uh, appropriations uh, committee, and uh, that's how, and uh, our in our case, that's Senator Briggs Hobson from Vicksburg, Mississippi. It's helpful sometimes to have a committee person on the committee file the bill because they're already working on a specific committee. So when you're looking at those, you can go on uh, on the Mississippi Legislative website. You can look at the Appropriations Committee for the Senate. You'll see Senator Hobson is the chairman, and uh, Senator Br Bryce Wiggins from the coast is the vice chairman. But there are about 20 members on there, maybe a couple more, 25. And any of those can file would be a good prospect for filing such legislation to amend the sales tax. Once that's done, it has to be voted out of committee. If it's voted out of committee, it comes to the Senate floor. We voted on the Senate floor. If it goes past, past that, it then goes to the House, and they have to accept it. And if it goes by that, then the governor has a right to veto it or sign it into law, and that's pretty much the way all of this is done. So you just need to pick a, pick somebody on there that you think would be amenable to your position and ask them to file the bill. Thanks, Kathleen. We appreciate you calling in. Well, Lieutenant Governor, we, uh, I want you to know we have students who work at the legislature uh, as interns uh, from time to time, and they've all said how, how well you've gotten the two sides working together and, and thing, you know, getting things done, and, and we definitely appreciate that. And you know, tell, tell us a little bit about how your role as a, a member of the legislative branch and a member of the executive branch, how, how, how do you navigate that? Well, we, um, there's, there's a couple of rules with that. First, um, I go by the rule that you treat everybody like you want to be treated. So just if, uh, if I try to, to speak to everyone, we try to establish relationships with people and ask them how their, their wives are doing or how the kids are doing or what football season is doing or what, whatever. I just establish a relationship and have, uh, have treat everybody like you need to be treated. The second is uh, I interviewed all 52 senators after we got hired in November, and I sat down with each one of them. I asked them what they wanted to achieve in the next four years. Uh, because I, my role, I think, is to make sure that every one of our 52 senators has the best four years as a senator as they possibly can have and uh, within the range of what's uh, feasible to get out of here. And different senators have um, – some of them are, have more interest in corrections. Some of them have more interest in health care. Some of them more in tax policy, some of them more in agriculture. So they all have different interests, and I tried to put them on the various committees. And then I have pretty regular meetings. Uh, the speaker and I meet, I think, every Tuesday morning. Uh, every Monday at um, 1130, I have a statewide call for all elected statewide officials. 
and I'll tell them what's going on in the legislature and then ask them how I can help them uh, if they're legislative matters or funding matters that may need for their particular office. And that's the state treasurer and the commissioner and the secretary of state and um, ad commissioner and uh, a state auditor. We're all on the phone together, and uh, I try to accommodate what their what needs they may have to run their respective offices. And uh, like today, I met with the governor this morning at eight o'clock uh, to go over what the legislative session is going to be like, and uh, we're going to repurpose some of our CARES Act money. So I guess really just uh, having constant conversation with, with everybody, I think, that's in state government and allowing them to voice their opinions. And we don't necessarily always agree, of course, but um, I think reaching out is real important. So I, I reach out a lot, to, uh, particularly to my senators and, and, and statewide officers. I am loving hearing this inside secret political information to, to figure out how our laws are made in Mississippi. Are you interested in watching our state senators and representatives at work? Hmm, eyes on them. Yeah, I'll tell you how you can do that next. You're listening to In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. impaired mpb's radio reading service is here for you our dedicated team of volunteers bring the world of news and entertainment to you for information and to see if you qualify call us at 601-432-6301 you're listening to in legal terms on mpb think radio professor richard gershon is our expert host i'm liz gill we hope that you'll download our podcast Lots of different podcasting platforms out there for Android devices. You download one to your phone, touch the plus that'll take you to a page where all all the podcasts in the world are. You can type in in legal terms in the search area. It'll bring up our show. Then you can touch the photo of it. You can subscribe to it so you can be notified when any new episodes are loaded up. Did you know? that the Mississippi legislature has a YouTube channel now. You can watch hours and hours and hours and hours of discussion and votes, live and recorded sessions of our legislative process. This morning, we're talking about the 2020 legislative session with our guest, Lieutenant Governor Delbert Hoseman. And we have three phone calls on the line. Up four, let's go to Sue in Beaumont. Sue, thanks for calling in to In Legal Terms. Go ahead. Good morning. And I hope that this question is not, uh, or this comment is not off the subject too much, but I live on a country road in Perry County. And we have a problem with people, young people mostly with on four-wheelers who are tearing up the National Forest and 
because they live on the edge of DeSoto National Forest. They go and tear up the forest. They, they whiz down the road without helmets, without insurance, without anything. And uh, log trucks come down this road doing 60, 70 miles an hour. Why, why aren't there stricter regulations and rules about driving these vehicles, these unlicensed vehicles, by kids up down the road here? Well, there are, of course, there are, are roads. Uh, every vehicle on the road has to have um, um, tail lights and lights and has to be so high and all that other kind of thing in order to get on any Mississippi road uh, to go into the National Forest. Of course, that's a whole different set of facts and stuff and circumstances about enforceability. But, but you're not supposed to have people riding down uh, Highway 90 or Highway 49 or any of the county roads actually on four-wheelers. They're, they're, not, they're not licensed to be on public roads. So that, that the next thing becomes what, what's the enforceability of the matter. So uh, in this particular case, your calls would be to the sheriff and the constables to enforce the statutory laws are already there. Um, we've had issues with this, uh, particularly where we have um, individuals who are ignoring uh, personal property rights. Uh, like if you own 50 or 100 acres somewhere and they just come roaring across your property and tearing up your stuff. Uh, you know, that's trespass, and, you know, you can swear out a warrant for for people who do that. The ones that are on public roads, of course, that's uh, that becomes a public matter, and the sheriff and the constables take, you know, would have jurisdiction over those. But, I, I, you know, you would uh, you would ask people to use common sense. Uh, some, somehow that seems to escape us in some instances. I pay particular attention to the fact that uh, I pull off the interstate and uh, these plastic, white plastic containers are all pitched out of people's windows. And I will tell you, when we, when we try to develop a business to come to your community or ask somebody to come there to make an investment there and hire people to work there, and they get off the interstate or the four lane in there and it looks like uh, uh, some kind of fast food restaurant uh, spewed uh, white paper and cups and and plastic uh, food containers all up and down the side of the road. They're they're not coming there, and uh, they they feel like if we don't take care if we don't care enough about our own home, which is I consider our our land all of our land to be our home. If we don't care enough about our own home. Why should they care enough to come and invest significant amounts of money and hire our people to work for them? So I, there are some pet peeves here. I think I think this issue about four wheelers are not supposed to be running down roads. And somebody's going to get hurt uh, sooner or later, or, or worse. And then also, your people need to surely you you can wait until you get home, or wait till you get a gas station to throw out your garbage. Mississippi is not a dump, and it's not a speedway for four wheelers. Our legislature can make all the rules in the world, and if folks don't follow them, uh, you know, what What can we do other than uh, bring in enforcement? Let's go to Meridian and talk to James. James, thank you so much for giving In Legal Terms a call today. What's your call for your question for Lieutenant Governor Delbert Hoseman about the legislative session? Uh, uh, yes, can you hear me? Yes, I can. Okay, my question is uh, about uh, mailing absentee voting. I recently took my father to um, to the courthouse to um, to absentee vote, and I want to get him signed. He can't drive anymore because of his sight, um, and I want to get him signed up for 
mail-in absentee voting, and I thought one of the criteria was you, know, you had to be over, if you were over 65 and he's 70. And I just want the um, uh, lieutenant governor to speak to the criterion for that particular situation of mail-in absentee voting. Well, Mr. Hosman, yeah, that was your, your previous job. Do you, uh, do you still have that information at your fingertips? Yes. The, uh, his father, and thank you very much for taking him to vote. That's critical. Uh, I think that's uh, something that most all of our seniors want to continue to participate in the political process. We, the highest percentage of people that vote in Mississippi is people over 50, and many times it's over 60. Uh, our young people somehow uh, are, don't feel as enfranchised, and our more our seniors are, the more we find the higher percentage of voting. In his father's case, he qualifies for two different reasons. One is he is disabled, and you can request disability at any age, and then he is over age 65. So what you would normally do is, in some instances, you can call the circuit clerk, and uh, and others they uh, and they will send you. Uh, first of all, you call them. They will send you to your father's address the the necessary form to request a ballot. And sometimes, when it's close to election, they'll send both the ballot and the request in the same envelope. Those are then mailed back into the circuit clerks. They're actually counted on election night. Used to be counted in the precincts, and now the statute has allowed them to be counted back at the circuit clerk's office. So I, I think it's um, it's very important uh, that that he get that you call your circuit clerk and get them to mail you the ballots on every single election. I'm proud of your father for voting, and I think that's that's critical. We. We'll only vote about 63% in, a, in, a, in an election for president, and uh, in, the go, in the gubernatorial election, we, we vote only about 45% of the people who are eligible to vote in Mississippi. And of the, of the we have about 2 million eligible, we'll vote about 900,000. Of the people registered to vote in Mississippi, which is about 1.8 million, we'll vote about 50% in a, in a gubernatorial election. So pretty poor turnout, actually. Everybody should cast their ballot every single time. That's how we continue to run our franchise. James, we appreciate you calling in and helping your dad get his absentee ballot that he is qualified for because he's over 65 and also uh, he's disabled, and that's available at any age. Let's go to John in Kosciuszko. John, thank you so much for calling in to In Legal Terms today to speak with Lieutenant Governor Delbert Hoseman. What's your comment or question? Flag question. Yes. The, um, I believe that if we had let the people vote, they would have voted to change the flag. Uh, for some reason, the legislature chose not to do that. Did you not think that the issue would change the flag, or were you scared for the people to vote, or why did you not let the people vote for the flag change? The, uh, the It's a longer story, but I'll go through it with you. We uh, for a number of years, uh, Mississippi businesses believed uh, that the flag was an impediment. Uh, companies like Ingalls, Chevron on the coast, and other companies around Toyota, Nissan, many businesses stopped flying the flag. Then uh, cities and counties stopped flying the flag, and universities stopped flying the flag. None of those uh, motivated the legislature that much. Um, uh, the flag had been in existence for 125 years. 
Then later this year, earlier this year, there was a uh, an affiliation of Baptists, Presbyterians, Catholics, all who made the proposal that the flag, as it existed, was a moral impediment in Mississippi. They made it a moral issue. Very rare for Baptists to take a political position, or any of the others, I guess, for that matter. But very, very rare for them, they're our, their largest denomination in Mississippi, to take a political position that this was a moral mistake to have the flag with the um, with the uh, stars and bars or, or or Army of Northern Virginia. Uh, I personally, my grandfather was um, uh, was a Confederate veteran and, and, and fought at the Battle of Vicksburg, so we we go way back. So then when that occurred, uh, we started asking around to individuals and, and looking at the data, and it became clear to us that a majority of Mississippians wanted to change the flag. And it used to be like 30 or 40 percent. It had gone up to about 50-50, and then it had gone up to about 60-40 in favor of changing the flag. That brought us to the, quite frankly, it brought us down to a decision process. Do we do we put it on the ballot and we couldn't get it on the ballot necessarily in any kind of binding fashion or whatever or do we put it on the ballot like in a year or two years from now at the next congressional election and go through a year of of, of uh, having people discuss the flag when it it became apparent to me anyway that um that the flag was going to be retired when that came up uh uh, I particularly wanted to vote on the flag. I felt that was critical for Mississippians to vote on, on their flag, and I believe that it was important to have in God we trust. So we, uh, in our conversations with the House leadership and in, in our own Senate leadership, we discussed the fact that we wanted, uh, if we were going to change the flag, instead of having a year which we were going to be buffeted by the national press about us being backward or something like that, if we were going to change it, we, the best way to change it was to have the people vote on it, which I thought we should. And so we came up with naming a nine-person commission, of which I named three members, the governor named three, and um, that speaker named three, to come up with an alternative flag to be voted on. And it is on the ballot today. They went through an extensive process, and there were a lot of, I think, 3,000 entries, and it went through all of that process to come up with where we were today. And they settled on one flag, uh, which I think is very attractive, and uh, they have proposed that. Mississippians will decide whether or not that's their flag in November. If they vote not to adopt that flag, we will, not, we will propose another one. Uh, the only requirements are that it not that it having God we trust in uh, on the on, on the flag itself, and uh, that those require and those requirements were were met with the flag that they proposed here. I looked at it and on a personal note. I, I really wrestled with this, John, uh, for a lot of different reasons. But in the end, I have seven grandchildren, and um, it was apparent to me. I had calls from national companies saying they weren't going to come to Mississippi. They were not going to invest here. And some of those were companies uh, that were uh, in smaller counties in Mississippi, and they were the only source of revenue for our people to work. Just the overwhelming thought that we had all of these problems had come up. But in the end, I think it for me, I didn't get to vote on it, but I supported the change. 
the in the end to me i looked at my seven grandchildren and i looked at my friends in mississippi and i didn't want them to be buffeted by some predetermined uh way people may look at us from outside our state i didn't want to go through that and i wanted the best thing for my grandchildren and i wanted to know who they were going to work for and who they were going to work with and so that's where that's how this all came to pass over a period of time and mississippians will vote on their flag in november and we'll see what comes out of it i'm hopeful it's successful i think we should put this part behind us it was time for for a change i think this is a unifying thing going going forward for us and i certainly didn't want um mississippians getting typecast erroneously by a lot of places we don't have any of the issues that are going on in chicago minneapolis louisville new york city uh, portland seattle los angeles and all others those uh, issues are not here i don't want them to arrive here we live and work together here and uh, i want us to go forward together so that's how we got here Thanks for that explanation, uh, Lieutenant Governor Hoseman, and thank you, John, for your question. We're talking with Lieutenant Governor Delbert Hoseman about the 2020 legislative session. Would you like to take a tour of Mississippi's Capitol building? I'll tell you more next. This is In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. Taff, Portfolio Manager at New Perspectives, a fee-only financial advisory and co-host of Money Talks. Each week, we take your personal finance questions and tell you about a money topic we hope you find helpful. Money Talks can be heard Tuesdays at 9 a.m. on MPB Think Radio. Podcasts can be found on our website, money.mpbonline.org, or on your smart device's podcasting platform. for being a part of In Legal Terms. If you've missed any of our program, you can listen to the whole show, inlegalterms.mpbonline.org. It's also available on the MPB Public Media app, as are all our local shows. I'm Liz Gill here with Professor Richard Gershon from the University of Mississippi School of Law. Up next is our 11 a.m. Tuesday Southern Remedy Show, Relatively Speaking, with Dr. Susan Buttress. Our guest is Lieutenant Governor Delbert Hoseman. We're talking about the 2020 legislative session, and he was fantastic as Secretary of State, and he got the fabulous website site designed, Y'all Vote. Dot ms. So if you want to find out uh, what's on the ballot, if you want to find out your polling place for the November 3rd, 2020 election, if you want to check to see if you are registered to vote, 
You can do all of that. Type in yallvote.ms, and then it'll take you to the Secretary of State's webpage. That way you can find out what is on the ballot for your area, who's running for your Senate position, who's running for your representative position. Yallvote.ms is the website. And if you want to see where all of our laws are made, the new capital was completed in 1903. It's been designated a Mississippi landmark and a National Historic Landmark. There's a gift shop and tours, but not just right now due to the pandemic. Um, we are so glad that you are with us, Lieutenant Governor Delbert Hoseman, and Tell us about, you know, some of the laws that people may not know about that were, were passed. What is the baby drop-off law that was passed in 2020? Well, there, there are a number of different laws that we passed that are um, very important. Uh, the baby drop-off law, as it's so, so called, as House Bill 96, it, it allows for um, individuals to leave a baby at an emergency uh, service provider, like an emergency room, um, and voluntarily deliver this, that child to that and without disclosing their, their identity at all. Uh, we, we were concerned that um, a child may be uh, abused or worse. And with a parent who did not want the child, a single parent, or what, for whatever the reasons were, we wanted to make sure that that child had the uh, um, ability to be left uh, at, a, at an emergency room where we, we could take, take care of that or a, a fire station or police station or wherever, and we could take care of that child and make sure that that child had an opportunity to have a long and, and prosperous life in Mississippi. So any emergency medical provider can help that, and we thought that was important for somebody who may have an unwanted pregnancy and didn't didn't want to keep a child and just was not able to take care of them. For example, they could they could take advantage of that. And we did several other things like this. We did Carly's Law, where uh, a sex offender can contact its victim, his victim or her victim, I guess, uh, can contact her victim or his victim. Uh, to make sure that these sexual predators aren't preying again on individuals who may be, have been abused at some point in, in their life by that individual. So we strengthened what's called Carly's Law. So we had, we had several things like that for, that, that dealt with making sure that we had um, children were protected and, and individuals were protected against sex offenders and, and, and maybe even a loss of life by a baby. Well, Lieutenant Governor, and, and I think everybody calls it the baby drop-off law, but I think the the, the safe haven law is really what, uh, the le what you and the legislature called it, right. um, and, and those are important. Um, I, you know, another a lot of people say that uh, 2020 was the year that the legislature officially ended prohibition in Mississippi. How, how did that happen? Well, um, it it evolved. <laughs> it all starts around liquor, I guess. I, in, in any event. We we found here that the Alcoholic Beverage Commission, APC, has a warehouse out here that was dysfunctional and it was not meeting the needs of, of individual, um, you know, you're restricted to only owning one liquor store in Mississippi. I think there's about 1,300 liquor stores around. You're restricted to having one liquor store. 
And um, we wanted to streamline the process for being able to do this. About over half of the liquor sold in Mississippi is wine. And over half of that is actually bottles of $12 or less. So what we wanted to do is allow these liquor stores to directly order their wine shipments and uh, and to have them delivered to wherever your town is in Oxford or Starkville or wherever. And so they would they would be able to direct ship these wines on request to that store where I didn't have to store them. I don't have to touch them in Jackson. I don't have to load them or ship them and all that other kind of thing. And we would still collect the same amount of taxes. Well, one of the restrictions was, of course, we have a general prohibition for liquor in Mississippi, with the exception being if a county had voted on it. So most of the out-of-state wineries that would send money, send wine in here, said they thought it was still illegal to do that in Mississippi, which it would have been. So basically, we we, re- we repeal prohibition. Every county still can be dry if they want to be dry, but that allowed ones that have elected to be wet to be able to receive direct shipments of wine. Lieutenant Governor Delbert Hoseman, our hour has just sailed by. Thank you for being our guest today. I know you're a busy guy, and we appreciate you taking the time to speak to everybody in Mississippi. Well, we're glad to do that, and I would remind you that there's a tourism committee meeting going on right now. All of our committee meetings are now transferred. You can watch them live, and you can also retrieve them if you can't see them during the day. I'd encourage you to go to our Mississippi Legislature website, and you can watch every hearing we have live in the Mississippi Senate. We we appreciate your your participation in the political process. Oh, thank you. That's going to wrap us up for today's In Legal Terms. Michelle McAdoo and Jay White put on this show. I'm Liz Gill and Professor Richard Gershon, hosts from the University of Mississippi School of Law. We hope you'll join us next Tuesday for In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast.